Yes, yes. It's time for copy paste here on CITR 1.9 FM. Copy paste where we uh, play underground dance music every week here. Bump it up through the night. This week uh, it's going to be a little different. Usually do a nice DJ mix for the hour, uh, but on uh, Monday night, I was over at the Biltmore. I had a chance to sit down with. Uh, a uh, member of the band Health, who we are playing a show there that night. And uh, so I'm going to uh, play a song by Health first here. This is off their new album called Death Magic. This track is called New Coke. Get you a little taste of Health, and we'll jump right into that interview. Listen to that for uh, about 15, 20 minutes. And then we'll uh, springboard into some more experimental type tunes to round out the hour. Let's keep locked to copy-paste. My name's Autonomy, been here for the next hour.
All right, that was New Coke by Health. And uh, now we're going to get an interview with Jake, the uh, the uh, singer and guitarist from Health, from their show on Monday. Yeah, maybe not. Let's, uh, let's throw another Health track in here, and then uh, we'll come back and see what we can get going here. This one's called Salvia. All right, there's a couple tracks there from Health Notes. Let's get into the interview now. Hi, what's up? It's Tim uh, from Copy Paste here. Uh, I'm talking to Jake from Health. Band Health, they're in town here in Vancouver for their show tonight. We're here at the Biltmore. And uh, we're just going to go through some uh, questions here um, about about the band, about everything. Mostly new stuff, actually, because uh, a lot of people have been kind of taking, taking an interest in you since with the new record coming out. It's very... Um, stylistically a departure, I guess you could say? Yeah, I think so. I mean, I don't think that it doesn't sound like the same band, but if you were to A-B the last full-length release to this one, it sounds like there's been some pretty major um, yeah, changes in aesthetic. So. One of the things I noticed that, um, is that this record uh, feels a lot more uh, software-based in, in, in terms of, like, um, there's, there's a lot of sounds that you can only get digitally. Or, or through uh, software pr- production techniques and stuff like that. So you have like more like heavy, heavily processed drums. There's like those big, big, huge synth lines and stuff. And uh, so I'm kind of curious, like how how you translate that um, stuff that normally exists only in studios or in digital workflows. How do you translate that to your, like your live act? Uh, well, the easiest way to kind of explain it is to see us live. But um, you know, I mean that software stuff that is done whether or not it's a synth lead or some sort of crazy distortion can all be cued live the same way that um, a MIDI controller is used to cue a, a, a soft synth tone. So that kind of stuff's not that difficult. It's like integrating that with acoustic drums, triggering drums, processing drums live. Um, definitely there was a learning curve on this record of um, creating songs that we had to then learn how to play live, whereas the reverse was true typically in the past. We had done it before, like with some of the stuff we did for Max Payne, um, where you know, you write the song and you produce the song and then you're like, okay, now we have to figure out how to play it. Whereas with a standard band setup where you have, you know, guys that have guitars and play drums, you write a song to play it and then you go and scratch your head when you're in the recording studio and you're like, how do we translate this? It's kind of a reversal of the process. Which is very much a modern thing, I think. Now, is it like you were saying? You know, most music, um, and in, in to us as well. I mean, not entirely, but most kind of boundary pushing music that's done these days is laptop production in a lot of ways. You know, you have kids that are like 
the whole imagining of the world and translation of their aesthetic creative vision is just takes place in their computer and then it's just like they don't even have to like they can put up throw a mastering plug in on it and just like upload it to like uh whether or not they're making like trap or like some like edm thing and then there's a community that just like knows exactly what they're doing so we were kind of really inspired by that and in that process yeah we've had to figure out how to how to be influenced by the exciting things that are going on in electronic music production but still be a band of dudes and like learn how to um experiment but then still fold that into what we're doing now so yeah it's it's a it's it's a process for sure and it actually kind of leads really well into my next question which um i read uh, before that you you kind of told billboard that you're trying to make a modern rock record yeah and in some ways you can kind of think of that in my view anyway as someone who doesn't who's more focused on um, like electronic, hip-hop, and all those kind of sounds, as uh, kind of oxymoronic in a way, because a lot of rock music that comes out now is very much, you know, they wear kind of their influences very heavily in their sound. And um, so, it's, so it's very obvious where kind of they fit into like this rock world. And I feel like um, the influences for, for Death Magic don't really fall into that as clearly. So do you, what kind of influences were, you kind of alluded to it, but like what, what were you kind of interested in taking from this like this world of modern music into health? Well, when I say in an interview with Billboard, you know, a modern uh, heavy rock record, we're aware of the difficulty of making that kind of statement because most m heavy music in and of itself is usually not very tasteful. That doesn't mean it's not good or visceral, but um, you know, our sound palette was coming from a noise band perspective. You know, our first records were heavily, um, a lot of them were atonal, certain songs. I mean, they're, they're things that we considered melodic lines, absolutely, in our prior work, but what we were looking at was the deficit that we experienced in trying to translate what we were doing live onto a record. And when you look at the way modern music production is now, and what we're you know mostly listening to over the last several years is like modern hip hop and like radio pop and dance music, and um, you know if you a b you put up a, a Katy Perry track against like an old punk record, which exists all in the language of rock and roll, which is mids, it's all mid range. It just gets blown out of the water by like a, just a generic pop track now, and of course, how heavy uh, the, the 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 technological advances that have been made in terms of like sub bass in, in hip hop and just these things that are incredibly powerful and very physical. We were just listening to those things and, and kind of I guess bummed out that there wasn't a modern heavy band that was utilizing that in a tasteful way. And that's what we were kind of trying to do. So it's like, when you say modern rock band, people are like, oh, like Imagine Dragons? It's like, no, we don't mean like Imagine Dragons. Or, you know, uh, the other side of that coin is retro rock, where it's like, that Arctic Monkeys song was huge, but it's like, it's a, it's a giant old Sabbath riff, basically. So we're not existing in those worlds. So what we were trying to do was take what's exciting about essentially electronic music production, whether or not it's for hip hop or for something like Hacks and Coke, who we worked with on this record, which is almost very much cinematic, but it's all you know, in the box and sort of applying that to a band still, you know, trying to make what we would see is, that's our version of a modern heavy rock record, which is admittedly more indebted to electronic music than it is to rock music, but what, that's what we're trying to express from our perspective. So it seems like the, you uh, had a lot of these influences that were you kind of just tried to bring back to your own kind of structure as a band. Yeah, exactly. You know, where you can hear um, uh, a sound on a record that's wildly disparate from what you're doing, but then see, wow, if we were able to apply that kind of production technique to our sound palette and our aesthetic, that would communicate what we were trying to do live when we first started more, you know, rather than going into a studio and be like, okay, let's mic up the guitar and see if we can make it sound different from the guitar that's been recorded a million ways like that already, you know, like hearing a sound and be like, I don't know what that is, but that's really cool, like, let's build an idea around that. Mm -hmm. And kind of really starting with production first. And I think in a lot of ways, especially, you know, for people that are really involved with the electronic music world, production is 
is half of what music is in a lot of ways now. You know, like people, especially young people, the way they like that are really in tune to music. It's like the sound of like a hand clap or a snap can be like the whole song. They can be like, oh man, that clap is so sick. You know, like well, and we listen to music that way too because that's the way that we started making music. Because like you base it on like one weird noise squelch we got out of a pedal, and like, that would be a whole song. So that's just how we kind of stayed inspired by the music that's going on now. So for a lot of people that um, are using kind of sounds and the and the I guess tactility of the sound or just the aesthetic of the sound as like a jumping off point for writing. A lot of people, well producers who often work as individuals, they're they're writing and producing kind of at the same time. Yeah. But for, for bands, the I mean the traditional way is to write then produce. So how, how has kind of this kind of new way of making recording music for you changed like your songwriting style? Or has it? It definitely has. Um, and we also did work with producers on this album. And I think that um, especially in the DIY community of bands coming from like noise band or punk band perspectives, producer is kind of like a dirty word, which we never understood. Because even if you're looking at um, rock records or punk rock records, a lot of times that vision was helped. To, it was the, there was help from a producer to like to understand how to communicate that music on a record. So um, in, in working with producers on this record, you know, we worked with this guy, Andrew Dawson, who was a longtime collaborator of Kanye, like as, was Kanye's engineer for years, because we were, you know, we didn't want to go make a record with a guy who made rock records or, like, heavy albums, but the exciting work he did was 30 years ago. You know, we wanted to, like, work with someone who was... So we worked with him... We worked with this guy, Lars Stolfers, who does, like, a lot of modern music. We worked with Hacks and Cloak. Just kind of trying to integrate these new, exciting ideas. So, yeah, that was... I mean, it depends on the project. Uh, it depends on each song. So it might start completely with production, like one sound. Like, we're going to use this weird side stick sound we found, and, like, that's going to be, like, the percussive anchor of the song. And then pick a key and start writing around there. Or, you know some songs on the record I'm, I, I had a vocal melody and it's like then you just start with that but it was definitely a very different record in that wasn't it was not four dudes showing up in a band practice space and being like hey I wrote this riff it's like why don't you throw a bass line over that like that was not the process so I mean the easy, easiest way I would say it is that the last record we made the way we demoed the songs is we all went in we put a condenser mic in the back of the room we played them all so we had them recorded for posterity to reference for tracking the album this album was just like you know endless ableton files and logic files and different you know screwing around on the computer and then taking it and adding guitars over it but then processing the guitars so they don't sound like guitars and just we didn't want anything to sound like a traditional um it's funny because it's like it's a band of guys all playing music together but we didn't want it to sound like that well, I mean, that's a pretty, I think it's a pretty bold approach for, for a band that's already, like, established and has kind of a, um, an aesthetic that you're, that you're um, familiar with and other people are familiar with. Yeah, I, I think so. But um, also, you know, for better or for worse, we kind of predicated this band on trying to sound new and valid, whatever that, you know, that's a very loaded statement, but new, like, of the now. And um, if that's your sort of mission statement, you can't make the same record three times in a row. Yeah. It would just kind of defeat the purpose. Um, all right, let's move on here. Um, so, so one of my one of my favorite filmmakers, his name is Alejandro Jodorowsky, and he uh, one of the things that the quotes from him that I always um, think about is he says that he tries to make movies that make you feel like you're on drugs, but you're not. And, uh, I think he's very good at that. Yeah, yeah, and I noticed that in Death Magic, uh, there's a lot of like references to um, drugs or drug, drug experiences. And so I'm just kind of curious: Do you kind of identify with Jodorowsky's kind of um, idea or, or what he's trying to do? Yeah, I definitely. I mean, I think we have since the inception of the band in terms of just trying to make music that is very much and I think this is true of Hodorowsky's work even though I'm not at all comfortable making a comparison in any sense um, it's not meant to be in experienced as a background um, stimuli you know it, 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 you're engaged and it can be disorienting um, I think we thought of maybe this record is 
not so much a record to make you feel like you're on drugs, but maybe a good record to listen to if you were on drugs. Um, not that I'm advocating that, but if you want to do it, you know, it can be an enhancing experience. Yeah, so, um, yeah, I think the way we experience our senses, and obviously very much in music, can be very mood-altering. So um, it's something we're definitely aware of. I mean, we don't write typical... I mean, there are, this album is more melodic, but it's not designed to be like, oh, okay, now here's going to come the chorus, and then there's going to be a bridge. and It's supposed to shake you up a little bit, which that's definitely the designed uh, effect. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think uh, one of the things that maybe doesn't really fall into the uh, category of shaking things up that you've done was the score for Max Payne 3, which, uh, I mean, because it's a score, it's it's inherently accompanying um, other action, right? And so and about that score, it's uh, it's actually one of the first times I'd heard about your band, and, and I really enjoyed the score, but uh, it seems like uh, when people, when you're doing kind of promotion for this album, a lot of people were say, calling Death Magic like the first album in like six years since, since you're last album and kind of just skipping over the, the score even though the score is also released uh, as its own release um, how do you feel about that do you, do you see the score as like part of the progression of your band or I mean I absolutely absolutely see it as part of the progression of our band and actually um, crucial to what what became Death Magic and part of like a lot of the changes that we were talking about earlier happened organically in having to generate so much music for a project it's just just demanding to create the amount of hours of music that you have to to score an entire game like that um, and not just repeat yourself all all the time and and of course in doing so aiding the visuals of the game our job in that is not just like try to stand up in the middle of the room and raise our hand and say hey pay attention to me what we're trying to do is uh, um, effectively enrich the entire experience for the person playing the game. So, you know, you're not doing the same thing as putting out your band's record. So I can understand why our fans uh, didn't think of that as a proper release. Now, of course, I think of it as very much a huge chapter in the story of the band. Um, I think, you know, that's just it gets discussed that way in terms of, like, an LP versus a, a soundtrack. Right. And to lend credence to that, it also is true, is when people started reviewing it, um, game sites reviewed it in the context of the game. But then, because we're a band and not just someone who composes, music publications started reviewing it, and it was really interesting and sometimes frustrating to see those juxtaposed because it's like one doesn't really exist without the other. I mean, so to answer your question, it kind of goes both ways. It's like, I think it's a very important document, but I also think that it... It did exist in connection with this visual um, piece of art or entertainment, rather, both. So it's it's hard because it's like okay, so you reviewed it. Uh, did you do you know what the context of it is? Like, do you know what the game is like? There's a world that the game exists in, the same way that a film would. So it's kind of a complicated thing. But generally, you feel. Uh, I mean, it seems like for, for you, it's it's very much uh, a part of what the band does. Yeah, I mean, I think that we, and we've done additional scoring work since then. So yes, to me, it's a very important part, a uh, very important touchstone in our creative development and the story of the band. However, I do understand that fans feel like, hey, give me a record. Like, I want a record for me, you know? People feel like you made this for a game for people to play the game and hopefully they'd enjoy the music. And a lot of people have derived a lot of enjoyment out of the score, I think. You know, it was a platform for us to reach way more people than we ever would um, just with our our music, but yeah, I, I understand. I, I have empathy for fans who want you to put out a record and not take six years. That's ridiculous. <laughs> okay. Uh, let's talk about the tour a bit. Um, well, you're actually you're, you're touring with Picture Plane. Correct. Um, and uh, you've kind of been, or been maybe not working together, but kind of in the same world for quite a while. I noticed he oh, yeah. did a remix on your first remix album. Yep. Uh, uh, was it Disco? Yep. And uh, so how has it kind of been seeing each other kind of grow both artistically and in terms of popularity and stuff like that? Ah, it's great. I mean, we love his music. We wouldn't ask him to go on. This is the second time we've taken him on tour with us. And um, so at this point, you know, it's just like family. And it's kind of 
this far along into the tour becomes almost sickening how much time we've spent with each other. Not not in, that we're not getting along, but when you actually look at it, it's like, my God, like people aren't supposed to spend this much time together. <laughs> um, so, yeah, it's kind of interesting being in cities together where we look back and we're like, oh yeah, we played this city like together like four years ago. Um, but yeah, it's it's always, he just released a record, Technomancer, that we are really hyped on. So it's been really fun watching him play that each night. You know, we were familiar with his um, earlier body of work, so now it's fun to watch him play new songs, and I assume he enjoys us playing our new material. Maybe he doesn't, I don't know, I don't want to speak for him. <laughs> cool. Um, so speaking of uh, the remix albums, uh, you had a remix album for each of your previous LPs. Uh, do you have plans for anything for Death Magic? Yeah, we do. We're working on one now. Um, we've been in the middle of this touring right now, so things are hard to accomplish on tour. It's, it takes up a lot of your time and energy. Um, it's the same thing that we've always said is, you know, we'll release a remix record if it's good. You know, we're not going to look at the situation and go like, oh, well, we did the other two. That's what we do. Um, if we feel like we have material that we're able to compile that we're really excited about, like the, the artists that we asked to do the remixes, like really knock it out of the park, then we get excited and we want to put it out. So there's no like, clause that says we have to have a remix. We'd love a remix album. We'd love to have one, but it's not. There's not one yet. We're still we're still um, collecting remixes and uh, soliciting them. Yeah. All right. Well, I'll, I'll look forward to it then. All right, that was an interview with uh, the band Health. Uh, that was the uh, lead singer, Jake, talking to me for about 20 minutes before their show at the Biltmore. Uh, ended up being a pretty great show. The live live set is definitely a very different experience from the album. Um, but uh, I'm going to take a quick break right here, and then I'll, I'm going to play play another Health track after just for some context, and then uh, we'll get into a mix of other weird experimental stuff, new stuff from Arca coming up some picture playing which was mentioned in the interview so uh keep it locked to CITR keep it locked to copy paste do you like friends well we like you so become a member and get a friends of CITR card not only does it make you special it gets you all kinds of deals with our friends downtown like 10% off at bang on t-shirts beat street records studio records community thrift and vintage the fall tattooing and more Visit CITR.ca for more, or come check us out in the nest. I'm Colin Mockery. And I'm Deb McGrath. For eight years, we've been going online to choose gifts like chickens and goats for children and families living in poverty. Gifts that provide food, income, and a hopeful future. All thanks to World Vision's gift catalog for gifts that change lives. Go to worldvision.ca slash gifts. Right, here's a track uh, from Health Again. I heard this one a little earlier. This is called Salvia. And coming up next, we got a new one from Arca off his new album. Very much in the same kind of ballpark. Thank you. 
Here's a picture plane. He was also at the show on Monday, opening up the title track of his LP called Technomancer.
Yeah, right now we're listening to a new one by Grenier and Hedge Fund. Them, uh, those two guys in EEPROM all uh, started up a label recently called uh, Sister City. It's a really cool, dark stuff on there. Uh, Keep locked to copy paste. When we come back, I'm going to play some from the new 10 Tricks Point Never album, Garden of Delete. Just came out. Also, a new one from a relatively unknown guy from um, Brixton named Comic Slow. Keep locked to copy paste. So become a member and get a Friends of CITR card. Not only does it make you special, but it gets you all kinds of deals with our friends on Commercial Drive, like 10% off at Stormcrow Tavern, High Life Records, Audio Pile, Mintage Clothing, and more. Visit citr.ca for more, or come check us out in the nest. Rock Friday from 10 to 11 with your host John P for the best in post rock, drone, ambient, experimental, and noise. track right here is called Sticky Drama by 10 Tricks Point Never. Pretty highly anticipated album, Garden of Delete. This track's definitely a good one. I'm 
This is Amin Tobin, remixed by Logos, off his uh, pseudo-soundtrack, Modern Jovian album that just came out this year. Uh, That track's called Adrastia Contact. And up next, uh, make sure you're going to play a little, uh, uh, an excerpt of a a noise performance. Uh, This kind of whole, uh, the the health interview and everything kind of spawning from that, kind of culminated yesterday into a... uh, seeing a noise performance by a Canadian group called The Rita. And uh, it was mostly about, you know, what the nature of uh, noise is in a city um, and how noise can be interpreted as having meaning to some people and not to others. And so uh, this is just a little uh, way to cap off this episode of Copy-Paste, mostly about noise and what noise is and various, how we can make more interesting noises. So here is an excerpt of The Rita creating uh, all sorts of crazy noises uh in performance troubled, you've been broke, you've been hungry, no job, no money, the one you love has deserted you, that makes you blue. Got the blues? Just want to hear some blues? Tune in every Saturday afternoon from 3 to 5 for Code Blue, right here on CITR 101.9 FM Vancouver, www.citr.ca. Code Blue. Yes, how he feels, but blues ain't nothing but a man, good man feeling bad. No, how that's all that is. <laughs> 